0: Acts chapter 3, verse 12, if you got it, say amen. If you got it, say mm-hmm. If you got it, say oh, yes. Acts chapter 3, verse 12, it says, When Peter saw this, he said to them. Say that one more time. When Peter saw this, he said to them. Now look right here. When Peter saw this, he said to to them. Father, I pray that you would be with us here this morning. Remove me, place your Holy Spirit behind this pulpit. Let he that has an ear, let him hear. Father, let the divine door happen like never before within our city. We do not want to miss what you've called us to do and who you've called us to be here this morning. We give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise in Jesus' name. We all said? Before you're seated, shake your neighbor's hand and tell them the divine door. Then you may be seated. Thank you. Now here this morning, I want you to know that there is a divine power that is in this room. I'm going to say that one more time. There is a divine power that is in this room. There is a divine power that is in this room. There's a glorious power that is in this room. Now, if there's a divine power that is in this room, if you cannot feel it or sense it, something is a little little wrong. If you really cannot see what God is trying to do, maybe there's something a little awry in our lives. And I want you to recognize it. Now, before we go any further, I want to deal with the Pokemon in this room. Shall we? Can we do that? Can we deal with the Pokemon in this room? I'm learning. I have no idea what that even means right there. I just see them do that. They throw it. They catch it. Yeah. If you're here this morning and you are solely here, you came to church only to get a baby daddy or a baby mama, you're in the wrong place. If you are here this morning only to catch a Pikachu rather than find God's call for you, then you're in the wrong place. If you are here this morning and you are getting your devotions from Facebook, then you're reading the wrong book. If you were here this morning and you cannot see the divine power, then my friend, you could be missing it. Well, you're probably saying, well, Pastor, what are you trying to say? I'm saying that I don't want you to miss the divine opportunity just for a moment of earthly satisfaction. Don't miss it. Listen, this morning, the reason why you and I are even here this morning is because the men and women that went before us did not miss their divine opportunity. So if we are going to go into the future of what God has called us to do, then my friend, we cannot miss the divine opportunity that God is putting before us right now. Come on, that's a good place to clap right there if you believe that. See, a divine opportunity not only happens for the moment, but it divinely changes moments for everyone after you. See, one divine moment can change history. Right now, right here, there is a divine moment that you can have with God. A divine appointment. Never underestimate the divine appointment. Divine moments have changed history. In Chicago, 1932, an African-American composer named Thomas A. Dorsey, who had been a nightclub jazz pianist, wrote a song inspired by his wife's death while giving childbirth. The song, Take My Hand, Precious Lord, unexpectedly became the foundation for the modern African-American gospel music tradition. That tiny, inauspicious moment in 1932 created a subtle yet profound change in American life ultimately producing musical anthems of powerful personal, moral, and political transformation just in that divine moment. Albert Einstein redefined physics. As a little boy, he only started to learn how to talk at the age of four. Finally, by the age of nine, he talked fluently. But one night during dinner, he said, the soup is too hot. His parents were in amazement that he spoke and asked them, why didn't he talk any sooner? He said, because up to now, everything was in order. His equation of E equals MC squared, amongst other things, made space and travel possible, nuclear energy possible, and explained how sunlight can be converted to energy. Everything else had been in order up until that moment. The divine moment changed it all. By refusing to give up her seat to a white man on a Montgomery, Alabama city bus in 1955, black seamstress Rosa Parks helped initiate the civil rights movement in the United States just by sitting down on the bus. There was a divine moment that changed history. One divine moment can change history. Nikki Cruz went searching for a drug-addicted Sonny Argonzoni there in the streets of New York, found him in a cafeteria in a, in a drug alley right there in a shooting gallery, and at that moment, he changed history. Never underestimate the divine appointment for the divine moment. It can change history. Somebody say, change history. I believe right here, right now, we're about to change history for the city of Hayward. God bless all two of you. Right here, right now, we're about to change history for the city of Hayward, for the Bay Area. Listen, my friend, it starts with a divine moment. And right now, many of you, you're at a divine appointment. You didn't get here by accident. You didn't get here because, well, I came because my friend told me or my coworker or somebody gave me a flyer. No, it's a divine moment that will change history. Change. Now, what is change? Change is something that presses us out of our comfort zone. It is destiny-filtered, heart-grown, and faith-built. Change is inevitable, and it is not a respecter of persons. It is uncomfortable for changing from one state to the next. It upsets our control over all our outcomes. Change has a ripping effect on those who will not let go. Change is needed when all the prompts and practices of the past will no longer work. Change is not comforted by the statement, just hang in there. But with the statement, you can make it. We don't grow and retreat, but through endurance. Change isn't fixed by crying, worrying, or mental treadmilling. Change is won by the victors and not the victims. And this morning, that choice is yours. Somebody once said, it, it's strange that while praying, we always ask for a change in circumstance, but we seldom ask for a change of character. Listen, I want you to know something here this morning. Just because everything is different doesn't mean that anything has changed. Just because things are different doesn't mean it's changed. Change has to be intentional. Change has to be intentional. Listen, Sunday is different than Saturday. But just because you're in a new day doesn't mean you're in a new you. You have to uh, allow God to do something in your life that did not take place last week, that did not take place last month, but today you say, God, I am ready for a change. Do whatever you want within my life. I am ready for my appointment. Here I am. Now, I want to make this very clear. My, my cousin probably would have uh, corrected me right away. I had the gang up here, and I said, don't they look like an army, right? I said that. My cousin would have called me right away and said, don't you ever say that. We're not the army. We're the Marines. Okay. Number 5. Okay, okay, okay. What I love about it is that I believe, and I've even heard it all throughout different ministries, when they say, when they look at Victory Outreach, they say, man, there's something different about you guys. You know, because we say God's army, but, man, you guys are like the Marines, you go in first, you get out last. You do things differently than everybody else. Why? Because God did something inside of us that He didn't do in other people for whatever reason. God forgave us of so much. We need to do so much more for His honor and His glory. It's just a little different. I, I couldn't explain it to you, I couldn't tell you, but my friend, listen, I like coming to church, but more than coming to church, I like being in the church. You see, the difference is a change. There's a change it's different. See some of you I know you're coming to church but one day you're going to learn what it is to be the church. It's a little it's a di- it's a change in perspective. It's a change in how you see God. It's a change in your relationship with God. Now, how do you know when it's time to change? How do you know? You're saying, "Well, pastor, I hear this change, but how do I know when it's time to change?" You know when it's time when you recognize the seasons. When you recognize the seasons. See, the reason why I change when I'm on the inside is because I recognize what's going on outside. I change when I'm on the inside because I can see what's going on outside. See, when I'm inside, I'll put on a jacket, get an umbrella. Why? Because it's raining on the outside. See, when I'm inside, I'll throw on some shorts and a T-shirt, throw on some sandals, and, and I'll make a change on the inside. Why? Because it's hot on the outside. See, when the opportunity is here, I, I, I want to get my, 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 my plane ticket. I, I want to get my, my fare. I want to get it ready because the opportunity is coming up to go to South Africa. See, I, I recognize the seasons. See, I, I hear the, the life groups are beginning to start up again. Oh, man, I want to get involved in a life group. Why? Because I recognize the seasons. So allow God to do something with me on the inside so I can go into the season on the outside. Can I hear an Amen. Just recently, we had a team of of, of men and women go to Cape Town, South Africa. And we were there, and it was a powerful, powerful time. But what I love about it is that the crusade did not even start when we landed. The crusade started when we got into the airport. One of, uh, we had two different teams. I was on the first team, so I I had already landed, but they told me that uh, the second team, they were on the plane. And as they were on the plane, they're there over the Atlantic Ocean, All of a sudden, everyone's just, you know, just kind of relaxing and and chilling. It's a long flight. You got to, I think it's from New York to uh, London's like 11 hours. You're just there on the plane, and then you got to take another plane from there, another 17 hours total. You're around 24 to anywhere from 24 to 28 hours. You're on a flight. You're just on the plane. And so while they're over the Atlantic Ocean, they're there, and all of a sudden, you can hear some, you know, uh, things going on, some commotion. What's going on? What's going on? And as commotion was happening, the the stewardess and everybody was there, all of a sudden, uh, I guess they came to our Victory Outreach team, they said, there's a woman up front, she died. A woman died on the plane. And they were there, like, whoa, what's going on? What do we do? Now remember, you're over the Atlantic Ocean, you can't just pull over. Listen, catch this, don't miss this. So they're there. Or on the plane. Any doctors? Anybody? No, no, no doctor. What do you do? So, we had a group of men and women from our church. I said, Well, you know what? We're not doctors. We don't know how to, how to do this. We don't know exactly what's going on. And the husband was right there. What do we do? So, we do what we do best. The opportunity arose. So, this woman gets right here and they begin to, the, 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 the woman's there. She's on the, the, her seat, she's dead. She's not breathing. She hadn't been breathing for a while. So all of a sudden, one of our women, they go over here. One of our gang warriors go over there. One of the uh, shotgun casts goes over there. And they start praying. They start laying hands on her. She's dead. And as they're praying, as they're laying hands, 40,000 feet in the air, a woman dead on the plane, they are beginning to pray for her. And then all of a sudden, life came right back into her bones. Life came right back inside of her. It was a divine moment and a divine opportunity. My friend, if you don't recognize the season, it was well, can anybody else? I don't know what to do. I have no idea what to do. You need to recognize the season of where you're at. Prepare yourself. See, the season is an opportune time. There is a season of sowing, a season of growing, and a season of harvesting. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1, to everything there is a season. There is a time to be happy and a time to be sad. A time to dance and a time to mourn. A time for peace, a time for war. You need to recognize the season. It's very important because if you don't recognize the season of where you're at, the opportunity Opportunity will pass you by. It'll just pass you right by. See, some of you right now, you are in a harvesting season. Some of you right now, you're in a planting season. See, all these seasons take specific tools and they take sp- specific skills. And in this time, you need to recognize, say, hey, if, if I don't know how to do this, I need to get with another farmer to teach me how to plant right now. I need somebody else to teach me how to sow right now. See, the season may be here, but unless we embrace it and take advantage of it, the season will eventually pass us and we will miss the opportunity. See, opportunity is a chance to do something more with our lives than what we presently have. See, right here in Acts chapter 3, verse 12, the portion of scripture that we read, it's when Peter, what happened was he started speaking to the people, but he recognized the divine moment. Now, the context of the scripture, a lot of us, maybe we've read the, the, this miracle happening before. There was a man at the gate, beautiful. The Bible says that he was lame. But then all of a sudden, Peter and John, they were walking by. And, you know, silver and gold, have I none. But what I do have, rise and walk. And the Bible says that this lame man who had been there for some time, he wasn't just anybody. Matter of fact, the Bible says that people knew who he was. They knew who this man was. He had been there for some time. He had been going through this this, this lameness and been going through this handicap for some time. So then all of a sudden, he got healed. When he got healed, the Bible says that he rose up. And when he rose up, the Bible says that all the people were in amazement and they ran towards them. So when they ran towards them, the Bible says that Peter, after seeing this, spoke to them. He recognized The moment. He saw what was happening. Right then was the opportune time to preach the gospel. Right then was the moment of change. Right then was the divine door of opportunity. See, my friend, it doesn't always come along, but when it does and when it did here with Peter, Peter and John didn't want to miss the moment. Listen, my friend, I want you to understand something. There was a divine moment that is even happening and it's preparing you even right now. And when you walk out those doors, there's going to be another door, a spiritual door, of opportunity just for you. Don't miss it. Don't miss that opportunity. I asked a few of our elders of our ministry. Many of them, they've been speaking for years, for years, and they've been involved with ministry for a long time, decades. And I asked them, I said, when was the first time that you ever spoke in front of people? I asked Pastor Saul Garcia, I said, when was the first time that you ever spoke? And he said, honestly, the first time I ever spoke was in a prison. I said, in a prison? He goes, yeah. Spoke in CRC. And he goes, The reason why I even spoke is because we had a prison ministry with the committee of two. It's like, oh, so I like go, committee of two. He goes, Yeah, me and someone else. That was the whole prison ministry. So they went there and they went to the prison ministry, and the one guy who was supposed to speak didn't show up. So he goes there and he's waiting for the guy. He's never spoken before ever in his life. And the guy didn't show up. So, you know, the warden and everyone else says, well, all these guys are here. Somebody's got to speak. So Pastor Saul said, okay, well, time to speak. That was a divine moment, that divine opportunity. I asked Pastor Sunny Jr., when was the fir- first time you spoke? He told me the first time he ever spoke, he was 19 years old, and he spoke on a Father's Day because his mother forced him to speak. You Got to speak. And if you know... Pastor Sonny Jr.'s testimony, he was a very quiet guy. He was a very timid guy. Matter of fact, he was so timid, he couldn't even order pizza over the phone. He didn't want to talk to nobody. He didn't want to talk to anybody. He's real quiet. Very, I just don't want to talk to anybody. Matter of fact, he said he took flight school. And when he was taking flight school, he did everything that you're supposed to do. Checked all the, the knobs. Did everything. Took weeks. He took Matter of fact, I think it was months of flight school that he did. As a matter of fact, if you, you know anything about flight school, you, the one, the, one of the last things that you have to do is you have to take a dive with the engine off. And you take the dive with the engine off, and then you have to be able to pump it, pump it, and then whew, start the engine up before you crash, and then whew, you're back up. He said he did that, no problem. He said, you want to know how I failed? He said, I failed flight school because I couldn't get on the CB radio and talk to the other person on the other line. He hated talking. He did not like to talk. So the first time he ever spoke was on a Father's Day, and they had triple services. So he, spoke, he said he spoke 15 minutes each time with his head down reading what was in front of him. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. Amen. Matter of fact, he even said that it wasn't even that good. <laughs> he goes, I wasn't even that good. I asked Pastor Rick, what was the first time you ever spoke? He said, actually, I got saved I was 20 years old, and they told me to go to the ranch. The ranch is the the men's home and the women's home, but the ranch is like way out in the, like that's God's country out there. Like it's just, you just drive. You just go to the desert and drive. And so that's what happened. They said, "Go, go into the desert and just drive, and you'll find it. And there's a little ranch in the middle of nowhere. I don't even know if it's on Google Maps. I mean, that's like literally nowhere. And that was the first time he ever spoke. They just said, go out there. And he spoke there for three years. Every day. It would just speak there. Every that's the first time he ever got a chance to speak. Now I'm saying that because their first time opportunity to speak opened the door for the rest of those behind them. They didn't miss their divine opportunity that let to, to pass them by. See, the Bible says I want you to turn with me to first Corinthians chapter 16, and you'll see what I'm talking about right here. First Corinthians chapter 16, verses 7 seven through nine. Are you guys getting some, something here this morning? First Corinthians chapter 16, verses seven through nine, it says, For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you. If the Lord permits, but I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, this is very important. Here this morning, I want you to know that everything that I've been talking about comes with the culmination of this. The opportunity, the divine opportunity, looks like a divine door. It is a divine door. Opportunity comes as a door. He says, for a great and effective door has opened to me. Paul says... My opportunity is a door. Now, this is very important because I want you to understand something. The blessing is not the door, but the blessing is where the door leads. Are you hearing me? The blessing is not the door. The blessing is where the door leads to. See, most people get excited over the door, but I want you to know something. It's not the door that is a blessing. It's where the door leads. Imagine this. If you were to come over my house, right? You come over my house, you knock on the door. Hey, I open the door. Hey, how you doing? Great to see you. And we just start conversating right there, and we just stay right there on the porch, and we talk for an hour. We talk for two hours. Hey, let's have some dinner. Let's bring it out, and let's have some dinner right here. Wouldn't that seem a little awkward? Like, hmm, so you don't want me to come in? Why? Because you came over my house not for the door, but for who's behind the door where the door leads to. See, some of you here this morning, I know you may think, well, man, I got salvation. Listen, salvation is good, but salvation is not just a happening. Salvation is a plan. Oh, I want to go to heaven. Okay, heaven is a place, but heaven is also a plan. There is a plan that God has for you. See, a lot of people think, well, I'm so excited. I got Jesus. Good, but where is Jesus taking you? Are you understanding me? See, a lot of people get, man, I got Jesus. Don't get stuck at the door. Don't get stuck there. The opportunity is what's behind the door. I know that that, that, that what, what led you there and what got you there, and you're excited and you're happy, but my friend, when the door opens, go through the door. Get through that door. There is a door of opportunity that is waiting for you. Can I hear an amen? See, John chapter 10 verse 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, they will be saved. See, Jesus was saying that if he comes into your life, he leads to blessing. He leads to opportunity. But you have to walk through that door. See, my friend, you and I have to understand we need to not get stuck at the door. Heaven is more than a place. Heaven is a plan. Heaven is a plan. I heard a teacher uh, or preacher once say, matter of fact, over this pulpit, he said, saying you just want to make it to heaven is like saying I only got with this chick because the other one was ugly. That's cold, huh? That's cold. All I got with her is the other one. She was all jacked. That's it. I'm just excited about going to heaven. Amen. Praise the Lord. Like, no, that's messed up. You wouldn't do that to your girlfriend, you wouldn't do that to your wife, so why would you do that to God? And he's got more blessings, and he's got more opportunities waiting for you. Can I hear an amen? See, the Bible says, the great door has been opened to me. See, this word great is translated to mega. See, what I love about that is that when you have a mega door, there is a mega blessing. When you have a mega door, there is a mega blessing. There is something on the other side of that door. Now, this is very important. This is very, very important because when you get the door that God has for you, the door that you have is not a blessing just for you, but the door that you walk into is a blessing for all those after you. Listen, if you are getting blessed just yourself, then my friend, that's a selfish door. You know what that is? That's a doggy door. That's a doggy door. Cause why? Cause only a little dog can go through that door. That's it. Just a little, just this little door. I can't fit through it. You can't fit through it. I know he can't fit through it. That's cold, huh? That's cold. That's what you get for sitting in the, sitting in the front. Pow, pow, pow. Just kidding. But that's what a doggy door is. Just one little animal go through there. That's it. See, and some of us we're playing around with God's blessings and God's opportunities like they're a doggy door. Put my left foot in, I put my left foot out, I put my left foot in, and I'll shake it all about. And some of you in Christianity, you're doing this hokey pokey and you're turning yourself around and saying, is this what it's all about? I said, no. Christianity is not the hokey pokey. See, when you understand the mega door, a mega door is what God has called what we would translate it as a warehouse door. Have you ever seen a warehouse door? Because when you go to a warehouse door, you got to go in there, you got to unlock it, and then you got to get the chain, you got to lift it all the way up. Because when you lift up that door, there is so much stuff behind that door that not only do I get blessed by it, but every Everybody else behind me gets blessed by it. When it is a mega door, there's a mega blessing, and you are going to see the power of God flow through your family. When you get healed, your mom's going to get healed. As you get saved, your whole house is going to get saved. There is a blessing of an opportunity coming through that divine door. This is what Paul was talking about. He says, man, there is a divine door that is waiting. It's right there for me, and I cannot wait because once I go through that door, so many people are going to get touched. So many people are going to get healed. It's not just for me, but it's for everybody else behind me. That's a mega door right there. That's a mega door right there. Now, I remember when we went to Cape Town, South Africa, And when we were there, we had the opportunity. It was a Sunday. Uh, We we actually had not done the the drama yet, Um, but it was a Sunday morning, and and, uh, the other team was on their way here. They were too busy reviving dead people on the (sighs) planes. That's a good thing. So I was already there, and I had the opportunity to speak. And after I spoke, Pastor Chuckie said, hey, I'm going to go on the radio. You want to go with me? He said, yeah, let's go. So we drove, we went to the radio station, and they told me on a Sunday, this one radio station, gospel radio station, reaches 500,000 people. I said, wow, a lot of people for a Sunday. is pretty good. So we were there, and we started talking. The, the DJ asked me some questions and said, yeah, we're from, you know, America, United States, and we're going to be doing this drama called Shotgun. And, oh, okay, tell me some more. So we started talking. And then all of a sudden she says, well, Pastor Chucky, you're here. You're in Cape Town. Uh, why don't you share a little bit of your testimony? And the moment he started sharing his testimony, the other de- there were two de- DJs. The other DJ said that he was getting the live feed on the computer. And as he was getting the live feed on the computer, Pastor Chucky's sharing his testimony. He's speaking his testimony. And all of a sudden, the live feed, there was a woman, says, as this man, Charles, was preaching, I accepted Jesus Christ into my life. Another person said, man, I've never heard a testimony like this before in my life. I want to accept this Jesus. Two people within a five-minute span got saved just by getting on that radio. Then as we're going on in the radio, we keep talking. We keep sharing. More people are getting saved. More people are getting touched. And then all of a sudden, we're done with the radio program. We shake hands. We're walking out. We're leaving. As we're leaving, we're in the car. Pastor Chucky's getting text messages from the radio station. From the lady saying, hey, 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 I think you might need to come back. There's some people over here in East London. They, they want this drama that you have. Within a half hour, five cities called the radio station and wanted whatever we were talking about. They said, hey, whatever this drama is, if they've got the answer in Jesus Christ, then we want that. We need it in our city. The warehouse door of blessings not just for us, for all those that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? Amen. See, you know it's an effective door because through that door is the ability to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He even says an effective door. See, a door that's not just efficient, but effective. See, while being efficient is about doing things right, being effective is about doing the right things. I'm going to say that one more time because I think some of you might have missed that. Well, being efficient is about doing things right. Being effective is about doing the right things. See, you could be doing things right. Well, you know, this is what I've been doing, and I've been doing it all right. You You know, this is everything I've been doing, and I've been doing it right. Okay, but are those the right things to be doing? You may be efficient in what you're doing, but are you being effective in what you're doing? The effectiveness. See, when the door comes that God brings, there is an effectiveness. See, my friend, many of us, we could be losing our effectiveness because we're in the wrong door. See, leaders, I even want us to understand that you could be doing the, uh, uh, these things and you could be doing them right, but are you doing the right things to get the results that you want? See, right now we got to walk and th- through the door that God has opened for us. We, as Victory Outreach Heart, we've got to walk through the doors that God has opened for us. Can I hear an amen? Amen. See, I remember years ago, we were doing our drama, Shotgun. And as we were doing this drama, a movie producer got a hold of our uh, uh, our VHS. You guys remember VHSs, right? Remember those? Somebody like, remember? That's how I watch movies. Catch up, amen, catch up. Well, somebody got a hold of our VHS and he called our church. A movie producer called our church and he said, Hey, I was watching your, your videos that you guys are doing and heard about, you know, you guys are Victory Outreach Award, right? I said, Yeah, that's us. And uh, I was the one that picked up the phone in the office at the time. And he said, Oh, well, you guys got this actor and I don't know who he is and, you know, whatnot, but, uh, you know, we need some Mexican gangsters. I was like, Hmm, I think we got a few of those. I said, Yeah, but, you know, this guy. And I said, Oh, okay. And so we started talking. I said, Oh, so the guy that you're talking about that you want, I go, That's me. I was 20 years old at the time, 20 years old, and I was a youth pastor, and I had a movie producer call me. So when he called me, I said, hey, all right, I think I could do that. He said, yeah, you know, I want you to be my lead role in my movie. I said, ooh. Mm. I said, all right. I talked to my dad. He said, yeah, go check it out. So I'm going to go check it out. Had a little face-to-face with the, with the movie producer. I sat down. I talked with him. And we, as we were talking, he said, "Oh yeah, you know this is what this is what I would like for you to play. I want you to play this Puerto Rican gangster." I said Puerto Rican. I think I could be a Puerto Rican. Boriguá. I don't even speak any Spanish, but I was just thinking in my mind. I should play Nicky Cruz. I was just hey, hey, <laughs> hey, Papa, hey, hey papi. Jesus, oh, come I told you a lot. No, just kidding. Don't show that to Nikki. Don't show that. You, know. you want to be a Puerto Rican? I said, well, I could pull off the little Puerto Rican. I, I think I could do that. He said, yeah. He said, this is what I want you to do. And he said, not only that, but this is how much money you're going to make. And he pulled the paper over to me, and I looked at the paper. And mind you, I was a youth pastor. So as a youth pastor at 20 years old back then, the amount of money that I made was nothing. I didn't make anything. What I really made was, hey, God bless you. That's what I made. I made God bless yous. People would shake my hand. Hey, thank you. Thank you for helping out, taking my young person, taking my youth, driving them all the way over there with no gas in your car. Thank you. The Lord is going to bless you. And I would look at the parents and go, you're supposed to bless me. <laughs> wouldn't happen, but hey, it is what it is. So I say all that because when the contract came in front of me and I seen how much money I was gonna make, I was like, "Ooh, the Lord is moving! Hallelujah!" It was a lot of money—not just for a 20-year-old, but I think it would be a lot of money for anybody really. A lot of money. I said, "Wow!" I said, "Oh, this is awesome!" I said, "Okay." He gave me the contract. I'm looking at the the script of the contract, uh, the contract and the script. And as I'm going through the script, all of a sudden, I seen, you know, different scenes and different dialogue, and the, this guy that he wanted me to play said, man, this, this guy cusses a lot. Mind you, I'm a youth pastor. I said, this guy cusses a lot. He goes, oh, no, no, that's okay. It's no big deal. I said, well, to you it's no big deal, but to me, I, I, I just want you to know I don't cuss. He goes, well, uh, I said, look, I said, look, look, look. I said, but don't worry about it. I said, I'm an actor. No, I didn't do that. I'm just—I didn't do that. But I said, listen, "Listen, I'm an actor. I got you. Don't worry about it. I'll give you a better alternative without this type of cussing, and it'll still be great. Trust me. I said, because it's not about the words; it's about the attitude. So I'll give you the attitude that takes over the words. Trust me. I said if you got to cuss anyways, you lose the battle. So I don't want to do that. A real guy has real attitude, not real cuss words. Don't worry about that. So he was like, "Oh, okay, all right. Okay. So I said, but." Said um, I'm looking at these scenes here. I go, there's a scene in here, where you're in a in the club. He goes, Yeah, yeah, you have gotta be in the club. I go, so okay, I get it. I go, but this isn't any club. This is a am I reading this correct? This is a strip club? He goes, Yeah, what's the big deal? said, so, well, you know, mind you, I'm a youth pastor. So, well, uh I don't think that would be very good for me. He goes, well, what's the problem? What's the problem? I started talking to him, so he's trying to work with me, and he goes, okay, look it, This is what we'll do. We'll have the girls. They won't even be in the shot. We'll just hit, take the camera angle, and we'll get it right there, so I'll make sure to tell the director of photography. This guy was a fast talker. He said, make sure to have the director of photography. We're going to cut it right there. We're just going to get to your face. Don't worry about it. We'll just have the drinks right here, the money right there. No one will ever see it. And I said, uh, I just want to be honest with you. Nobody might see it on the screen, but I'm going to see it with my eyes. Nice. And I'm just telling you, I go, ah. I go, look, it may not be anything for you, but for me, it's called integrity. And I just, I, I, I don't feel that. I, I don't feel right with it. And so we started talking some more, talking some more, until finally the end of the conversation. This is what he said, true story. Leaving the, 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 the loft that we had over there, and I went to have the face-to-face. He said, you know what? Just want you to know, don't call us, we'll call you. Okay walked out that door needless to say he never called me because guess what that wasn't my door that wasn't mine it looked good it felt good when you look at that contract and you look at that money oh boy that really feels good And you can even look at it and go, man, this is God. But my friend, if that door is not the divine door that God has for you, then you got to understand, my friend, that there is no way in heaven or on earth that you should be able to go through that door because it is not the divine appointment, my friend. You and I got to understand that in the season where we're at, God is preparing you for a divine door, a purposeful door, an opportunity door, not a selfish door selfish door. See, my friend, the second thing that we see here with Paul is that we understand. Paul says, it was done for me. In other words, God opens the door. We don't. God opens it. We just have to go through it. Now, how do you know if it's, the, if it's your door to open? My friend, listen to me. If you got to kick down, bang on, push open that door, it's not your door. It's not your door. Well, it's my turn. Well, I got to do it. Well, how come they're not recognizing me? How come they, if you got to push down that door, it's not your door? It's not your door. You got to understand that a door that God opens, no man can shut. But if you open it, someone behind you could shut it right behind you. See, a door that God opens, no man can shut it. And if you got to bang on it, if you got to push it open, that, my friend, is not your door. See, when the door happens, and if you don't know how it got there, you woke up one morning and said, where did this come from? I, 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 I didn't do this. I didn't make this happen. I didn't put this in front of me. I don't know where this came from, my friend. you got to get ready to walk through that door. you got to get prepared to walk through that door. Can I hear an amen? See, you and I don't have to trip or even go through these these things that we have inside of our minds, these insecurities and wonder, well, is this for me? Is it not? Because, my friend, if God opened the door for you, it will stay open. And this is the thing. You don't have to worry about anybody else taking that door because it's your door. It's your door. See, the Bible says that David had seven brothers go in front of him. And the Bible says that these seven brothers were invited to go to this anointing line. They were invited to go to this anointing party. And all seven of them showed up. But all seven of them had the door shut on them. It wasn't their door. That wasn't their time. It wasn't until David showed up that God said, okay, now it's his door. It's his time. It's for him. See, I want you to know something here this morning. And I shared, it's a little personal, but I shared this with the youth as well, and I told them, listen, many people look at me and they say, well, Pastor Stelman, he, he was a PK. He was supposed to be a pastor. Actually, no, not at all. I wasn't supposed to be a pastor according to what people think. Matter of fact, I know a lot of PKs that I grew up with in the church. They're not pastors. Okay, if, if all PKs are supposed to be pastors, how come my friends aren't pastors? How come they're not? Oh, they're supposed to. No, 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 that's not the case. That's not the case at all. Especially being a PK, you grow up in a fishbowl. We call it the fishbowl, where everybody gets to look at you, everybody gets to poke at you, everybody gets to point at you and say, oh, pastor, look at your kids. How come your kids? Uh, See, that's the thing about the fishbowl. Everybody gets to point at the fishbowl, but nobody wants to take care of their own fish. But as a PK, you just got to deal with that. That's just the way that it is. You can't change it. You can't maneuver it. You can't manipulate it. That's the way that it is. So growing up as a PK, people would come up to me and say, H- you're going to be a pastor. And here I am, 12 years old. I would look at them and go, shut up. Why don't you be a pastor? Why don't you go be like my dad? I would. I'm like, weirdo. Now, let's be honest. At 12 years old, I wasn't saying weirdo. I was saying other things. But I mean, I'm like, no, that's not me. That's you. Why you go do that? I don't want that. I know what it takes to go through all that stuff. I've seen my dad have to go through all that stuff, people talking about him, people messing with him. See, as a shepherd, you got to learn how to smell like sheep. And when you smell like sheep, people don't want to be around you all the time. When you have a rod in your hand, people don't want to stick around. People want the staff, but nobody wants the rod. But as a shepherd, you've got to learn how to have the rod and the staff because they both bring comfort. So when I would see that with my dad, i go, no, no, I don't, I don't want to do that stuff. That's crazy. That's, that's crazy stuff. That's crazy talk. That's not for me. But I still remember. I would get prophesied over, hey, you're going to be a minister. You're going to be a pastor. No, I'm not. I don't want to do that. Your door is there. I don't want that door. You take the door. No, no one else can have the door. It's your door. But in the meantime, for me, I just had to go in the shepherd's field and learn how to smell like sheep. Just took me a little while. See, some of you, you need to understand something. Your door is meant for you. No one else is going to take your door. Don't think, no, 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 I got to get it now. I got to get married right now. I got to go get this right now. I got to go get the money right now. I got to, no, my friend, don't push down the door. I'm telling you, don't force down that door. It's very scary when you're the one that kicks down the door. And then you think, all right, God blessed me. God blessed me so much. A year later, man, I hate this stupid job. I'm going to kill this guy. Man, I'm going to do this. Man, I'm going to do that. Man, I don't even want to go to church anymore. I don't, feel like, I don't feel like being a Christian. Well, wait a second. A year ago, it was a blessing from God. Are you understanding me? See, you have to understand something, that your door is your door, but you have to know that only God can open that door. And when God opens the door, no man can shut it. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? The third thing and the last thing is it comes to the piano, and I close with this. The last thing that the door brings, the door of opportunity, this divine door, is the door brings adversaries. In 1 Corinthians, he says, a great and effective door has come to me, but there are many adversaries. See, I want you to know something. Adversaries are the confirmation that you're in the right door. Adversaries are the confirmation that you are in the right door. See, my friend, the devil does not want you to possess what is behind that door. He doesn't want you to have the blessings and the opportunity of what God has for you. Can I hear an amen? See, now what's very important is that adversaries come in many forms. Our generation, and when I say this is very important because when I say our generation, you look at me and you go, oh, pastor, you're young. You're a part of that generation. No. A generation, I, I spoke on this before. When it comes to generation, it, it, it comes into a, a way of thinking. Generation has a way of thinking. Even uh, on the way over here, I was talking with Pastor Greg, and we were talking, and, uh, you know, we were talking about some things, and he, he was watching my video. He goes, man, how did, how'd you do all this? How do you know about the Eagles? Did you ever take LSD? Did you ever take PCP? No, I just, the way that it was, I guess it was my dad. He, he passed it down. See, a generation has a way of thinking. It's not when you were born, but it's when you were born again. And for those of you, when you were born again, you have a way of thinking. And this generation, one of the biggest enemies and adversaries of this generation is distractions. Distractions. Distractions that will take you left and will take you right. I mean, we talked about it even this past week that, man, this thing right here, this phone, I mean, I like the way Pastor uh, Mitchell talked about it even this morning. He had shared, he said, listen, for those of you that what I want you to do is I want you to open your Bible, not open your device. Because for many of us, oh, this has everything. I got everything on it. But uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. If you want to open your Bible app, it's very difficult to do that because when you open it, you go, ooh, Facebook. Ooh, Instagram. Oh, let me Snapchat this. We want to snap everything, egg everything, Tinder everything. We want to do everything. Oh, it's all right here. And we got distractions. People, I, I mean, it's, it's humorous, yet it's serious at the same time with this whole Pokemon thing. And I, I saw this young girl almost die because she was playing Pokemon Go while driving. The whole car was wrapped around. I, I saw the news feed. It was wrapped around the whole pole because she was playing Pokemon. Now, she survived, but I was like, man, I, I mean, that's the, those were the good ones. I can't imagine the bad ones. People who got hit or walking, all the distractions. Now, I'm using this as an example, but for some of you say, well, the phone doesn't distract me, but my friend, when you go to that job, are you being effective at that job or are you being distracted at that job? The distraction comes in many forms. It'll take you away where your boss says, hey, hey, you want more money? Oh, that sounds good to me. Distraction. Because you hear more money, but the more money means less time away from the things of God, less time away from your family, less time away from the effectiveness, being affected. Listen, I've never heard anybody on their deathbed ever say, man, I wish I would have spent more time at my job. Never heard anybody, anybody. And trust me, I've been doing this for a while. Been around a lot of people who've been on a deathbed. I have not yet heard anybody say that. I wish I would have made more money. Never. Never. But I've heard a lot of people have near-death experiences. And man, how I, I wish my family was here. I wish my family was here. Man, even the person, my sister, that I don't get along with, that I've been having this bitterness with, I wish she was here. I've had people tell me, man, I wish I could amend things with my mother. Wish I could amend things with my father. But, oh, no, it's okay. I'll just get distracted. Just keep doing what I'm doing. No big deal. And my friend, you could miss it. You could miss the divine door that God has for you. Do you see how important it is of what you need to go through for the rest of this city to get blessed in? See, it's very important that you do not miss the divine opportunity that's in front of you. Because if you miss it, then the people behind you can't get blessed by it. I close with this. Last year, many of you know, for those of you that have been in our church, we've been doing our drama shotgun. And as we've been doing our drama shotgun. We've been connecting with the guy by the name of Noel G, right? Remember that last year? He came it was a part of it. He's been in different movies uh, from SWAT, Bruce Almighty. He was in Fast and Furious. The, the, his name is Hector in Fast and Furious. And, you know, he's been around. He's, he pretty much plays the same guy in every movie. So if you're wondering, who is he? Just trust me. He looks like the same guy in every movie. The bald head, mustache, cholo guy that goes like this. Same dude. Same guy. He was in The Purge. He was in all these different movies. So we got connected, and as we were talking, he said, hey, this movie producer wants to connect with us. I said, all right, let's do it. Let's connect. Let's see what we can do. So we got connected. We were talking. We had ourselves a conversation. After the conversation, the contract he offered us, he said, I want to buy the rights to your drama, your stage play, and make it a screenplay. He said, Ooh. Right, how much? Said, we're gonna pay a million dollars for your shotgun. Wow, now let's be honest a million dollars doesn't that sound pretty good? See, you guys ain't saying amen. You're like, uh, why? Because you know what's behind the door. Is that a million dollars? Oh, that sounds pretty good to me. I already seen it a million dollars. Does he have a building? We got this. Let's go over here, buy a plot of land. Let's raise it up. I already seen it right there in my head. I so, said, yeah, sounds great. A million dollars. I so, said, okay, no, what, what do we got to do? What's going to happen? said, so, well, we just got to do this and fine tune it. So we started asking questions. started asking questions. said, okay, well, if you're going to take it, what are you going to do with it? I so, said, oh, well, we like it, but we just don't like this. I said, well, okay, well, what is this? We don't like the gospel. I so, said, wait, wait, wait. That's the whole essence of shotgun. It's the gospel. It's not the gangsters. It's the gospel. Well, well, you know, they like the storyline. Shotgun is a pretty good storyline. It's not bad. It's not the greatest, but it's not bad. It's really good. You put it all together, you get this and that, and all, you go, oh, all right, pretty good. That's a great storyline. This guy comes around, and they try to come together, and, and they like that. They said, oh, whites and blacks and Mexicans and Filipinos, they all come together, and they form a clique. We like that. Oh, it's pretty good. And the gangsters, oh, they have rivalry and tension with the family. That's good. I like that. I said, okay, wait, wait, Repeat that one more time. You want to take out the gospel? I said, yeah. I said, oh, okay, well, I just want you to know right now, uh, we don't want your money. Now for them, they're like, wait a second. Who in the who in their right mind would turn down a million dollars for something they don't even have to do anything with? Now, if you know anything about Hollywood, they take it and they do whatever they want with it. They could take the name and make it a whole new movie, you wouldn't even recognize it because they're just paying for the rights of the name. So I knew that. I said, nah, nah. I said, wait and they looked and said, are you sure? Are you positive? A million dollars and you don't have to do anything. Well, see, that's the thing. I've already been doing everything for this. God has already opened every door that we needed for this. And if you are not that divine door, then this is not the divine opportunity. My friend, I understand God has been allowing us door after door, year after year, since 1991, that every door that we've walked into, we've had the opportunity to preach the gospel. And if you are telling me that you are going to take this tool and take out the gospel, then this is not the divine opportunity that God has for us because I know that what we've been building... the season that we've been in God knows what he's doing with our church God knows what he's doing with our people and if you're not the divine time then my friend you need to go because I'm waiting for the divine opportunity of the divine door that God has for his divine people I don't need a million dollars take it take the stupid money want that was that harsh for you? I shouldn't have said that word huh? pastor said stupid Because it was. we get that stupid offer? It's dumb. Don't try to distract me. Try to get me off the call. Do that stuff. I don't need that. I know what God has for us. I know what God has for me. You need to know what God has for you. And any door that God opens, no one can shut it. Nobody can shut it. They offer you money. And say, well, listen, you better make sure that that's God. I'm not up here telling you a message that sounds good. I'm telling you a message that I've lived, to trying to be good, I'm trying to allow God's goodness to be in my life. That's not easy. I know. I just gave you the story and say, "All right, pastor." But I'm going to be honest with you. That's not easy to do. It's not easy to turn down that amount of money for the sake of integrity. For the sake of conviction. For the sake of counsel and and what God has put inside of us. No, 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 no. You need to understand something. God is building you right now in the season. And in this season, he's preparing you so that one day you're going to be able to open your eyes and see, this is my divine opportunity, my divine moment. Some of you have divine moments every day on the bus. Some of you have divine opportunities every day at your work. Some of you, you don't always get a divine opportunity with your family, but when you do, you take it. Take the divine opportunity. Take the divine moment. That one divine moment can change history. Stand with me here this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.